Welcome one and all to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East. And Andy Ferguson. We are so very glad you decided to join us as we discuss and dissect films both current and bygone. You can find the Film Harmonic podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we encourage you to leave us a review and a pleasant rating, and on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Alexa, and Buzzsprout. And you can send review requests for the throwback challenge to the Film Harmonic at gmail.com. In episode 15, we were good sons and took our respective mothers to see the newest dog movie to hit the multiplex, The Art of Racing in the Rain. And with all the youngsters headed back to class this month, our pick six this week will be the six best school-themed films of all time. Leading us into the throwback challenge to close out the show, in which Andy saw Hal Ashby's Shampoo, and I crossed off another 70s classic from my watch list with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So without any further ado, let's dig in. It's well known that August is the doldrums of the cinema release cycle. It's slim pickings in late summer when perusing the box office offerings, so it should come as no surprise that our lead film this week is none other than the saccharine-soaked auto-racing-slash-dog hybrid film, The Art of Racing in the Rain. The Art of Racing in the Rain. This is it. We've come down to this. Episode finally, 15. You finally got your mom into the theater. We've been talking about it since since almost episode one. You I, mean, know? I think it was. It's been months and months. One. It's been since January. Yeah. Um, not only, I didn't have... This was not hard. She was the one that basically drugged me to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> was, she said, quote, I've seen a lot of advertisements for this movie. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And she is like, she could not wait to see it. Really? Okay. So my was, mom was pretty geeked as well. Was she? Yeah. Okay. okay. We even took my girlfriend. So it was me, my mom, and my girlfriend. Okay. All right. Who all went. So the experience was pretty fun, actually, for me. Yeah? Okay. Um, me too. There were a lot of moments throughout the movie where she looked over and went, aww. <laughs> my mom kept talking through the movie. Yeah. yeah. My, um, mom, my mom can't help herself. She has to talk during movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But she didn't talk as much as I thought she would. She was very involved in this. Yeah, so was mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... In that respect, this this is a good experience. Yeah, it was a, f- a fun experience, experience, regardless of, of whatever your thoughts are of the movie. We had a good time in the theater, mm-hmm. you know, seeing a film that we never would have no. paid money, let alone spent the time Especially seeing. the way it was uh, marketed. Sure. It yeah. looked miserably bad. Yeah. And I'm here to say that I didn't think it was as bad as it was marketed, for, in my opinion. It was not as bad as I was expecting to be. Let's no. talk about the opening sequence. The opening sequence where yeah. it's you're in the hallway and it pushes towards the dog as Costner is delivering his extra gravelly narration. And that's fine for me. And 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 he's, he's voicing these platitudes. He's really mm-hmm. getting very philosophical mm-hmm. just in the very opening scene as it pushes into him. And then you slowly meet the characters. It's immediately heavy-handed. Oh, God, yes. It is, but I will say this. Also, competently shot. Competently shot. Oh, sure. Most of the movie is. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> my issues aren't in the way that it is shot, like cinematography-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously had a good cinematographer. Um, some of the directing, though, especially as far as the, where directing bleeds into editing. Yeah. The way yeah. it's paced a little bit, and then some of the of writing. Yeah. Uh, there leaves 
a decent amount to be desired, but it's not. It wasn't complete garbage the way my I it standards would be. were very low. Let me say it mm-hmm. right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, I was a little pleasantly surprised. Yeah, almost nowhere to go but up. Uh, I thought this was going to be lifetime original garbage trash. So did I. It was not. No, it wasn't. There were moments where it was. There were moments where it was. Specifically later on when there's a legal battle going on. Yeah, and those and that whole plot point is pretty much telegraphed. Like you know what's gonna happen the it's whole bad. time. You know exactly where that story's leading. Yes. And Um, but I will say that it it, it doesn't ever get to spoiler alert, it doesn't ever get to the inevitable elongated dog death scene. Thankfully, it doesn't draw that out because yeah. I felt like it was getting to that the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it treats that in a way. It doesn't show you the dog dying. It doesn't show you any kind of th- thing where they're burying a dog or anything. Nope. They're celebrating the life of a dog, which mm-hmm. was interesting. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I didn't have an issue with Costner in this. Um, no, Costner's not my problem with it. I mean... Uh, some of the dialogue that he has to yeah, it's not narrate. Some um, of it is not great. Some but, of it's not that great. a lot of it is okay. But he actually does pretty well with what he's given to do, like, what, honestly. Yeah, because what I like what he does with it specifically, regardless of the dialogue he's given, is that, you know, everyone who's ever owned a dog um, can, well, for the most part, this doesn't go for every single dog, but, I mean... Dogs are more aware of what's going on than what some people give them credit for. Sure. Um, like the Martin Donovan character who just sees a lazy dog sitting around. Yeah. And constantly mentions that. Yeah. Um, but but dogs are, are very smart creatures. Sure. Uh, and this movie kind of pays tribute to that a little. Yeah. I mean, it, it, overly. But I, I was sold on it a little bit. Yeah. The, you know, one of the good things about having Costner in that role and the way he delivers the narration is that it's, he's deadpan the whole time. So even when the lines are played for comedic effect, Mm -hmm. he delivers them so deadpan that, um, like the uh, twin stuff. Exactly. Otherwise it would have come off really cheesy. I agree. Um, Yeah. And even the stuff with the zebra, I was getting ready to say the stuff with the zebra, especially. This also makes me think of something I have a very big issue with the movie about. D- did the zebra stuff not drive you crazy? Uh, it was not good. Yeah, it drove me insane. It was bad. It drove when me insane. When it got insane. so-called animated for a moment, yeah. it was bad. What I also... But what I most dislike about this movie is the title of the movie. And I say that because this is a children's movie most for the most part. And a mother, and, and you know, a lifetime it's mother. It's a family movie. It is a family movie. I don't know about children's movie, but it's a family okay. movie. With a family movie, surely enough, kids at a certain age are going to want to say, Mommy, take me to see this. And they want to say the movie. They're not going to say, Mommy, take me to see The Art of Racing in the Rain. No, no that's too not. long of a name for one. <laughs> it's too mo- polysyllabic. Listen, okay. Marley and me had it exactly right. Yeah. Mar, Marley and me. Let's go see Marley and me. Or it's just Marley. Say, they would just say Marley. It's yeah. easy to say. Yeah. Nothing about this title is easy. To say. No, not at all. It's a terrible yeah. title. Yeah. Although the title does have some meaning between its owner and its dog. Yeah. That doesn't mean it should be called that. No. And if you had told me that the next, you know, P.T. Anderson movie is called The Art of Racing in the Rain, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what it was about, 
I mean, like, cool title. That's a great it's title just, for a PTA movie. Exactly. Yeah. It's just not a good title for this no, kind of movie. it's a terrible title. And like you said, mar- if for no other reason than just the marketing purposes. Please. That's going to hurt it overall. It just uh, well, is. Well, what did we, what did we it say made, it made? It 6. made 8 million. 8 million? 8 million? Yeah. That's it. That's the highest week it's going to have. That's not great. No. That's not, not great. This movie won't won't break 25 It didn't million. even get in the top like list when you see the top movies. Yeah. It wasn't even on that list. Yeah. Was your theater pretty well packed? Not really. I went to a very early showing, though. Mine was pretty packed. Sunday. Oh, that's true. You went to an early Sunday. Mm-hmm. I went Friday at 6.30. So I went at a time when most people who would care to see this movie are in church. Or watching NASCAR. One of the two, right there, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, funny you mentioned NASCAR. Let's talk about that part of this movie. The, the actual racing? It's not NASCAR, of course, but... But it is racing. Yes, yeah. it is racing. It's Formula um, One, open wheel. I'm glad that they didn't go too far into the technicals on that sure because sure that would have been in over its head especially if you're marketing it towards family exactly you know what i mean um the gary cole casting in this movie really strange right it's, it's kind of fine i like that it makes enough. you weirdly makes you think of talladega doesn't, <laughs> talladega it, Nights, doesn't it for, you know for adults but um, he was fine in this. Yeah, it's what nice about... to see Gary Cole not be a complete asshole. True. Every and, once in a while. And then speaking of complete assholes, Martin Donovan. Wow. Perfect wow. casting. Perfect casting. Man, talk about lifetime original um, moments. H- yeah. The his... day your daughter dies, you're trying to throw down a lawsuit on someone. Yeah, his, the, the character isn't written very well, no. but he's, he's, he does really well with he's what he's He's always been good at that. Given. But Kathy Baker, his wife, I've always thought she was very good. Yeah, she's a very good actress. Kind of underrated, yeah. honestly. And she's she's one of the better parts she of She is, film. but you also exactly see where she's going. Yeah. You know what's going to happen when she testifies. Exactly. I, it, that was telegraphed Milo. That way. was so telegraphed. So then that leaves us with the big two. Okay. Milo Ventimiglia and Amanda Seyfried. I think they're both fine in this movie. They're both fine. They're both fine. I think she's a little better than him. But she's, I think she's, she's got, a better she's actress than he is. gotten better with... With age. Sure. Yes. I remember a time where both of us, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we were like, nah, no. she's, she's not very good. No, not not at all. Until I saw First Reformed, and then I was like, whoa. I think I was on her bandwagon before, before you. Before that, yeah. But but I still didn't think she was great, say, several years ago. Like, I didn't think she was going to go anywhere. Not that this is a great performance, but she's capable in this movie. Sure. Which leads us to the Milo Ventimiglia of it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, this is right in his wheelhouse. Sure. And it's a very safe film for him to make. And I think it doesn't help him though, because all it does is furthers the idea that he only really has one gear. Oh yeah. He's not going anywhere. This is, he can't do much more than this. Yeah, you're right. And with Seyfried, it's like, you know, she's doing this and then she'll move on. She'll go do something more important. But him... He, he can't play a villain. He can't play an intellectual. He's not going to play no. a college professor. You know the what I mean? The only thing like, he can do at this point is play, play Connor Oberst in a biopic. Uh, he would be a great Connor yeah. Oberst. <laughs> but, and I would watch that movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah, he's just... He can really only play the regular guy who's pretty wholesome and kind of a nice fella. He looks like a race car driver. I'll give him that. He sure did. He looked good in the suit, especially, you know, the thing race car drivers do where they zip up, they zip off the first half of the suit and let the top half hang like overalls almost Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just have the bottoms. He looks much like a race car driver when he's rocking that whole setup. Um, so that was believable. One of, one of my big takeaways, it's the entirety pretty much of my letterbox review is that for a film about auto racing, 
all of the cars appear to move really slowly in this film. Yeah, like, they're the not actual really... racing scenes aren't compelling in any way, shape, or form. No, and that's not the focus. And either. the cars don't seem to be actually driving very fast. You can tell Never. that. I believe his name no. is is Duncan Curtis. What's the director's name? Dennis Curtis. Simon. Curtis. Simon Curtis. I think Who it's gives Simon a shit? Curtis. Yeah, it doesn't um, matter. There's a Curtis in there somewhere. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me he's never directed a, a, a racing film or even an action His film. His writers sure like to say Senna a lot. They they really <laughs> drove the Aronson Senna thing home. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the documentary Senna? No, I know. It's one of your all-time favorite documentaries. Well, now well, I have something to, to add to the, to to the list to give to yeah, you soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, it's the 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 action sequences are not shot well. No, yeah. and I didn't have it. Like, oh, like, I wasn't worried about that. Honestly, that didn't bother you. Okay. No, it didn't bother and, me and because I wasn't expecting. It wasn't a that. huge deal for me, but yeah. it did. It was something that I noticed early on, I get it. If and then noticed again and again. I get it. If the title of your movie is "The Art of Racing in the Rain," you better shoot the racing sequences pretty well. And you these, think these are really boring racing sequences? No, those are bad. They're bad. Um, Although but, I will say, I was genuinely affected by the final moment around the lap. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, with Enzo. I just was, man. Me too. Me it too. And my mother was me. my mother was bawling. I mean just cry puddles. Puddles. They, they created a character. Enzo is a character that I cared for. I'm sorry, I just did. Yeah. I don't I blame you. I couldn't dislike this movie. I don't blame you. Couldn't dislike it. Yeah, not not at all. Um It's a perfectly fine movie. I give it a three. I give it a two and a half. I still docked it for a couple of things, but I was expecting it to be one and a half at best. I, I so, you know what? It's perfectly fine. I will admit that I thought about my cat dying one day and that made me tear up slightly. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have a senior dog. He's, mm. he turns 10 next month. And so, um, I, I, it was tough for me not to think about him and how much I'm going to miss him. And I, when we got into the, in, into the car, I was like, let's go home and hug our dogs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't blame you. So, um, it, 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 it did. In it, defense, it wasn't really this movie that made me think of that. I think about my cat dying every day. It's a yeah, problem. Yeah. It's a problem. <laughs> I know that I'm going to have to face that day yeah. s- at some point, and I fear that all the time. Yeah. This movie just hit me. Yeah, it's <laughs> as emotionally manipulative as it is, yeah, it, it is. worked on me because I'm a sucker, and, yeah. and I got too big of a heart, I guess. So uh, hit, hit, Manipulating pet lovers is one of those avenues that's a little more acceptable. Sure. It just is. Sure. They're pets, man. Yeah. They're yeah. the best. So, um, yeah. It's not, th- it's not a very good movie, but... But it's not a bad movie either. If you have to go see it, if you're forced to go see it, just know it's better than it looks. It's better than it looks. And if you're just willing to just give a little bit of your cynicism mm-hmm. and leave it in the parking lot for yes. an hour and 40-something minutes, you'll have an okay time with this movie. It's, it's not bad. It yeah. is, this movie is better than Hobbs and Shaw. I believe you. <laughs> I will take your word for that. <laughs> I will take your word for that. <laughs> well, then. <laughs> well, that's our that's our one big film of the week, so we're going to take a break. But when we come back, grab your Trapper Keeper and your Jansport because we are taking you to school. Pick 6 is next. Stick around. The dead know what they're doing when they leave this world behind. When the here and the hereafter momentarily align. See the need to speed into the lead suddenly decline. Dead know what they're doing when they leave this world behind. And as much as we might like to seize the real and hit rewind, 
Quicken our pursuit of what we're guaranteed to find And the dying's finally done And the suffering subsides All the suffering gets done By the ones we leave behind All the suffering gets done By the ones we leave behind Welcome back, students. Our pick six this week is going to be a good one. As I'm sure you've noticed on social media with everybody you went to high school with, sharing photos of their kids with clean parts in their hair and brand new lunchboxes, it is back to school season. Andy and I have been studying nonstop, even pulled a couple all-nighters, just to bring you the six best school-themed films of all time. So starting as always with you, Andy, what's number six on your list? Fun list. Fun, fun list. Really fun list. This is a list that I have a lot of films I really enjoy on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, six was not easy. No, and we're going to have very different lists. We are, yes. Let's let's give this disclaimer right away. I am a huge John Hughes 80s movie fan. And I you am not. not. Not only do I dislike the 80s as a whole, I'm not a John Hughes guy either. I just never, I never, I never yeah. was introduced to it at an early enough age to get the nostalgia factor. Yeah. And so nowadays I look at them and I just kind of roll my eyes. They're fine movies, but I they don't, it. they don't do anything. For if me. you don't find them at the right time, it's just never going to happen. So I that's, that's one reason I think we're going to have very different lists. Well, number six for me is not a John Hughes movie. It is a movie that came out in the late nineties and was uh, a film that, uh, didn't introduce us to Alexander Payne, but <laughs> but it was kind of a breakout movie for us. We him. have the same number six. <laughs> Election. Election. We yes. have the same number six. We have the same number six. Mm, that's surprising to me. Uh, I rewatched this for the first time in years and years last mm. night, actually. Really? Rewatched it last night because I was like, I was like, I'm running out of time and I need to rewatch this in order to finally make my mm. list. Mm-hmm. And it was good enough that I was like, no, put, I'm, it's got to be on the list. See, I've seen it three or four times. So I didn't need to rewatch it. Cause this I is st- only the second time I've seen it. I still remember it really well. Yeah. Um, it's always been one of those movies. It just, for s- some reason, Alexander Payne finds the right comedic tone. There is a fun back and forth battle in this movie. This might be one of the great Matthew Broderick performances. Oh, totally. Honestly. Might be the best. Because Matthew Broderick, most of his career plays the really good guy and he's not yeah. and he's not a complicated character. He is this here. Is, this is almost the op, it almost goes past complicated and he's actually the bad guy. He's he, not a good he's, person. He's someone who maybe was a good person at one point but just can't seem to make any good decision mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And he just makes a series of terrible terrible decisions. And that's not to say that Tracy Flick's a good person. No, but <laughs> No, no. Tracy's not the hero either. Um, Honestly, the best person in this film is Chris Klein. (laughs) Chris Klein's the only character in this movie who's actually a really, a decent person. This was the time when you were like, Chris Klein is going to be a really big actor? Yeah. No. Well, no, no, because this is the only thing I've seen him in that I really, really like him in. I think he's he's not a good actor. I think he's terrific in this movie. He is. He's very fun in it. Because I think Payne... Payne must have gotten with him early and said, this is how I want this character played. Oh, absolutely. Play him straight on, goody two-shoes, mm-hmm. but play it deadpan. Everything goes right for this guy. Don't laugh at anything. Just just yeah. play it straight forward. Mm-hmm. And he does. And he plays he it with this very dopey, matter-of-fact sensibility. He's very good. That is so delightful. He was my favorite part of the, sh- of the, of the whole movie. 
My favorite part of the movie, I guess maybe acting wise, I don't know, man. Reese Witherspoon's she, so good in this movie. She's fantastic. In this she's movie. amazing in this she's movie. She's really, really fantastic in this movie. This was that moment where I was like, whoa, whoa, what do we got here with mm-hmm. this actress? Yeah, you um, could see it right away. Did she she was in this and Cruel Intentions both in the same year. Same year, very different roles. And they're va- yeah, vastly different roles. Year before that, she was in a guilty pleasure of mine, Pleasantville. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah, yours, yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know if it would still be, um, but uh, yeah, man, the writing is so good. Yeah, in this movie, and it's really—it's not only is it directed really well, but that's not—that doesn't come as a huge shock. It's Alexander Payne. I know it's early Payne, but it's still. Yeah, it's, yeah, well, it's, it's directed really well, but the editing—it's really edited really. It's well. edited really well. The score is great. You know, when when we there's early on in the film when he's asking questions in class, and we finally—it's not our introduction introduction to Tracy, but um, it, it keeps pausing mid sentence. Oh yes, yes, great with editing. dopey looks on her face. Great editing. It's it's and it's the editing thing. Moments that, where her eyes are closed. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, and when done wrong, that kind of editing. A uh, 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 trope or or, mm-hmm. or that kind of editing trick is really obnoxious, but when done right, like this, it's a lot of fun. And yeah. it, I, I, this movie is really, really solid. Yeah, this movie balances a sinister quality with a very fun and lighthearted quality, though. It, 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 it he always keeps it lighthearted. Yeah, the, I mean, especially how dark it gets at times. You know, when he's watching porn in his basement, it's, it's high very school strangely themed porn. sexual at times. Yeah, yeah, not, and that's not just with the stuff that goes on with him having an extramarital affair and. Yeah. And um, there's the Chris Klein moment where he's talking about um, how his sister's love interest is now dating him. And he was like, mm-hmm. he's like, uh, yeah, and we went over to my house for a hot tub and a fuck. Yeah. You know, things like that. Just a just, deadpan delivery. Just, it's so good. It it's is so good. It's a very funny movie. Matthew Broderick getting stung in the eye by a bee. And then yeah. for the rest of the film, he has that this. great shot where he gets stung in the <laughs> eye, like directly. It, it's a it's a fun, fun movie that does hold up. And it's really original. It's a very original story. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, and it darts down different paths that you don't see coming. It's very mm-hmm. unexpected. The, the plot, uh, uh, contrivances don't feel contrived actually. I, I was, I, I'm pleasantly surprised this is on your list. I was hoping yeah. it would be. I didn't think it would be though. It wasn't going to be. Until it, you rewatched it. It knocked something pretty substantial off my list that I'm well, hoping, we'll talk about that, that I'm later. hoping and, and assuming you might still have on your list. All right. So. So with, with that out of the way, what is number five on yours? Number five for me is um, The Breakfast Club. Okay. Um, obviously John Hughes. Obviously very iconic mm-hmm. kind of iconic imagery of Judd Nelson, uh, you know, clenching his fists in the football field. I will say this. As far as John Hughes goes, this might be my favorite John Hughes film. Uh, what have you seen? Most? I've seen most really? of them. Okay. okay. Um, and this might be my favorite of them. Yeah. Um, because it's, I like it better than, you know, Pretty in Pink and, and, and mm-hmm. 16 Candles and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Just, just because I th- feel like it's a more original film and it's, it's dealing with some more important subject matter and, you know, stuff like that. What, what I love about John Hughes and will always love about John Hughes is um, he... He brings things to the forefront in in school movies that typically aren't, um, and that is first and foremost. Man, kids are weird. Yeah, and and um, not everyone looks the same. No, and and if you watch high school movies today, if you were if you were to go to the movie theater or turn on, uh, you know, 
any streaming service and watch recent movies made in high school, you would believe that everything looks like a H&M ad. <laughs> Everyone looks the same. And if there's one kid that looks different, he's the fat kid who everyone picks on. In John Hughes movies, the good-looking people exist because, of course, they exist. Did you go to school with kids that looked really great? Of course, right? Oh, yeah. So did I. But there were plenty of other kids at the school, too. And John Hughes pays attention to that. Always has. Yeah, he has a really good grasp of what adolescence is actually like, despite not being one himself anymore, you know? Yeah. At, at the time he was making right. films. Right, yeah. yeah, when he was making these movies, he was, you know, well into his 30s, and but he had a connection, and he, he actually had a relationship with all these actors. Um, that's why so many of them worked with him several times. Yeah. But um, this movie, uh, I feel like this movie earns its rights um, for me. Um, of course, some of it can be a little ridiculous, um, but this whole scenario to, to set a movie in detention hall in one day where kids like this would never would have met in any other circumstance in high school and would have never would have had any other perspective on them other than the cliche, you know, like the movie presents it, the jock, the cheerleader, the outcast... All, all these things, f- for some reason, this movie has always resonated with me. Yeah. Um, actors I don't necessarily enjoy, I do like in this movie. Judd Nelson, I've never really thought much of. Emilio Estevez, I've really, I like the guy, but I've never really thought like, ah, he's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and clearly, he got something out of Molly Ringwald that no one else could. She never had a career. Outside of his films. Outside of John Hughes. Neither, neither really did Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah. Um, and, um, oh, man. Who's the other actress? I'm forgetting her name right now. Oh, uh, uh, Ali Sheedy. Yes, Ali Sheedy. Ali yeah. Sheedy. She also didn't really do a whole lot after this era, but, man, for whatever reason, I think they're all cast perfectly in this movie. Sure, it's an excellent job of casting. And it's fun, and, I, and, and, and here's another reason why I like these movies more than you, is because I enjoy the music of the era. Sure. That helps. And, and, and he always had that knack of finding the right music of the era. So yeah. number five for me is The Breakfast Club. Uh, number five for me is a film that um, I rewatched earlier this year when my sister-in-law was in town from Spain. Um, and if we had made this list a year ago, this probably would be higher. Mm. But it doesn't hold up as well on rewatch, but it's still... Um, of paramount importance on a list like this. And that's super bad. Super bad. Super bad still makes my list. It's number five. Wow. Um, super bad for what it, for what it lacks in rewatchability, especially in, in, um, in 2019, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it still makes up for in tons and tons of chemistry. Uh, of course. And, uh, originality and, really gut-bustingly funny set pieces. Um, so right out of the gate, uh, Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill are magic together. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Mintz-Ploss does a really good <laughs> good job of holding holding mm-hmm. his own with them as well for most of the film. You got uh, Emma Stone. It was our first intro to Emma Stone, and she's really funny in the movie too. Um, and then uh, two of my favorite, 
favorite, favorite comedic actors of this century, Bill Hader and Seth Rogen together as cops. Um, and then there's just, there's lots of other bit players throughout the thing. It's just, it's an extremely funny movie that gets the high school friendship thing really, really right. And so I couldn't leave it off my list. In fact, um, spoiler, a bit of a spoiler to tell you, um, I mentioned to you earlier in the week that, you know, we could split this up into a college list and a high school list mm-hmm, if we yeah. wanted to. And uh, you understandably poo-pooed the idea. Um, I want it to be one list. And I noticed that when I finished my list, every movie on my list is a high school movie. I have no college movies on my list. Um, that's not the case for me. I, I, I assumed that's it's not spoiler. the case for you. That's a spoiler. But... But, uh, but I couldn't leave Superbad off the list. Right. I, left, I left some really good movies off this list that we're going to talk about once the list is complete. We'll talk about some honorable mentions, but mm-hmm. Superbad's so damn funny and so original. It does. Uh, I'll give you this, man. Just the chemistry up front is what holds the thing together and will always hold it together. Yeah. Um, as much as now watching it, I watched it this year too. As much as now I think that every other storyline outside of Sarah's and Hill's takes away from the movie a little bit, it still is held together really well by both of those by guys. Them. Did you know that, um, so Jonah Hill had worked with Apatow and company uh, on yeah, 40 year old virgin. Yeah. He was in that for a scene. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, he wanted really bad to audition for this film and he was in a movie theater with Seth Rogen uh, and interrupted. He didn't know Seth Rogen, um, and told him, he's like, Hey, um, uh, I'm auditioning for your next movie. He's like, I really want to, I really want to do it. And they said that he was, he was going to be too old, they thought, for this role. Mm-hmm. And they let him in, audition for it anyhow in like Seth Rogen's like, trailer when he was working on another movie. And they were so blown away by this audition that he did just on a camcorder mm-hmm. in Seth Rogen's trailer. And they were like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. You can, you can play high school. We'll, I mean, he we'll looks like a high schooler in this movie. He does. he does. Not as much as Sarah, but he no. does. Well, Sarah's younger anyway. And Michael Sarah, I think, is the key to this whole film. He's tremendous. Uh, Michael Sarah is, as Seth Rogen says, is a genius. I, I, I totally agree. I know you do. And, I'm and I'm inclined fan. to agree as well. Uh, Sarah is the best part of the movie. I, I would have to agree with you on that. Yeah. yeah. He holds the thing, the thing together. He's great. Yeah. He's great. Okay. So number, that was number five for me. So number mm. four for you. Number four for me is a movie you've already mentioned, not on your list, but something you don't like. And that's pretty in pink. Okay. I've always been a huge defender of this movie. Um, this isn't a John Hughes directed film. This oh, see, is, I was unaware. This I'm is a John Hughes written, written film. Yeah, yeah. I assumed that he directed it He also. did not direct this movie. And you can kind of tell the way it's directed is not necessarily, doesn't have the John Hughes complete feel. Like a Home Alone. Like a Home Alone is written by John Hughes, mm-hmm. but doesn't have that John Hughes feel the way you see a lot of his movies. But that doesn't take away from the fact that this might be the best example of a John Hughes um, outcast movie. Um, just that that feeling of connecting to the to the um, privileged and and having that uh, feeling of wanting to be in a different world. Like you, you, everyone knows this as well. When you're in high school, you know who the to kids are who have their rich parents yes, and have those, those privileges. Yeah. That gets brought up in election as well. And guess what? Sometimes those rich kids may be attracted to you regardless of your status. Sure. But 
do they want to risk their click being upended and, and being disrupted by you paying attention to, you know, this, 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 this lower class or even middle class person with their family who lives in, dare I say, just a dilapidated ranch style house, just anything. <laughs> um, but th- this movie, um, I think this is the best Molly Ringwald performance. Um, her dad is played by Harry Dean Stanton, who's a single dad trying to m- just get by and support his his daughter. Um, and al- along the way, she develops an attraction to this rich kid played by Andrew McCarthy and his best friend, who is frankly just a dickhead, played by James Spader, who can play a dickhead better than most most actors. anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's just a plain old story um, about this girl going to the prom with this guy and how much that disrupts everything inside of of a of a school of their um, of their social ecosystem. Of, yes, exactly. Yeah. And and um, and then you have John Cryer playing Ducky and Annie Which Potts is playing probably John Cryer's most famous role I would think still is even more than two and a half men I think it still is yeah yeah Ducky's a great character Um, of course he's in love with Molly Ringwald's character it's nothing new to movies like this but it doesn't have to be anything new Um, everything works for me in this movie again the soundtrack is killer for me Um, a lot of psychedelic furs um, just good songs on this soundtrack Um, Annie Potts Annie Potts plays her best friend. They work at the records, at their local record store. Very young in this Annie movie. Potts. Young Annie Potts. Um, she's charming in this movie. Um, this movie is full of fun, vibrant characters. It goes in directions that it's supposed to go, and you know it's going to go. But when it gets to the payoff, it every time I see it, it gets me. I don't know what it is. It just gets me, and it. Listen, man, John Hughes caught me at a very early age, so that's what this is all about. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so not to break things up too much, but number four on my list is a film that I have a feeling is going to be much higher on yours, mm. and that is Lady Bird. Lady Bird, okay. Lady Bird is my number four. Um, okay. Terrific directorial debut mm-hmm. by Greta Gerwig. Uh, terrific lead performance by Saoirse Ronan got her nominated for it. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our, uh, most of us, our in- introduction to Beanie Feldstein. Uh, yeah, mine, for sure. Um, I think we all agreed that Laurie Metcalf was robbed for Best Supporting Actress She's amazing that year. Um, I'm a huge fan of Tracy Letts as an actor. You know I am. And um, I thought he was robbed at a nomination for Best he Supporting Actor. He should have been actor. nominated. Um, yes. I mean, he was not... I can't say he was as good as Laurie Metcalf because he didn't get the bigger scenes, but he was very solid in this mm-hmm. movie. And then um, Timothy Chalamet had a really big year that year. He did. Really did big he? year that year. Um, th- there's just a lot to like with this movie. It's a great movie. It, I've, I mean, I've never talked about this movie on this podcast. but No, you haven't. But people that know me well know how much I champion this movie. So I have a, I have a strong feeling we're going to hear more about this later. This is one of the better movies. I'd say this is one of the top ten movies of the last three years. Wow, that's what I would say. Okay, yeah. so yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll we'll we'll put a pin in it for now. Okay, and right. discuss it more in a little bit. 
So we're top three. We've reached the halfway point. Okay. Number three. These these better be bangers. Number three for me is something that talk about breaking the flow of things. This is probably the only movie that doesn't have a comedic tone to this entire list for me, and maybe yours too. This is a movie that when I was making this list, I was like, does this this yes, this is absolutely a school movie. Elephant. Oh shit. Gus Van Sant's Elephant. I didn't even think about this. When I was making the list and I and I skimmed by this and I remembered it again, this is still the most affecting um, experience in movie theater I've ever had. Yeah, this is an affecting experience just watching it in any in any format. This comes at a time I did not think about Gus this Van Sant's career. He went through a 5-year span where he was doing films like this that were experimental to say the least they were there were li- there was little dialogue and he just followed characters um i guess the most notable one was the one that was supposedly the kurt cobain one in the last days but this movie was this movie hit me hard this movie came not a whole lot after columbine yeah i would say a few years after columbine this movie came out in 2003 Columbine was what in the late nineties, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. So this came closely after that. Uh, Too close for for some people. Yeah, and I saw it in the theater. Yeah. Um, uh, people weren't expecting what they were. The people in my theater, I still remember it to this day. They weren't expecting the kind of movie they got, to the point where they were mocking it as really? it ended, and they were laughing, and that was insulting, because yeah. this movie is. This movie is a hard watch. It's harrowing. This is a very hard watch. Yes. This movie basically follows students of all kinds in one school on the day of a mass shooting. And it's quiet. There's no score. Uh, It literally follows people. Yeah. Long, uninterrupted sequences, no cuts. Especially when you use the term following because a lot of the shots are... Of the characters' backs. Behind them, yeah. He's literally behind them as they're mm-hmm. walking around. There's imminent danger. You don't know when it's coming, but this movie, I think, is the... Uh, a lot of people don't like this portion of his career. It was too experimental for most, but I think this is the best part. I think this is the f- shining moment of Gus Van Sant's filmography for me. Uh, you could definitely make that case. I, I don't even think I would argue with you. This might be his best film. This is... A movie I haven't watched in a long time, but I have seen a couple times. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough to rewatch this movie. I may rewatch it again someday, but the, the couple times I've seen it, I have been on the verge of tears watching it. It's, a, it, it's very effective. Oh, it's absolutely. a very excellent movie. Had I, had I, it occurred to me to put it on here, mm. uh, it would be on my list. I just, it didn't even, didn't even occur there's, to me. There's a lot in this category. Well, number three on my list, much like yours, is a, is the one outlier on the on my list that doesn't have any any real comedic aspects mm, to okay. it, and that is uh, Rian Johnson's Brick. Oh, okay. <laughs> I rewatched this again uh, the other night, and um, it shot up my list. Um, I haven't seen it since it came out. It's terrific. It's <laughs> it is a neo noir style film especially in the dialogue and everything um it's it's if you if you were watching if you were listening to the to the dialogue and to the film without the screen 
you would think it was a neo-noir. Um, but obviously high schoolers, especially in the 2000s, don't talk like this. Um, but man, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is phenomenal in this movie. I was going to ask you, that was my first question, how, do, how is he in this movie? Because I haven't seen it in so long. He's incredible. He's incredible in this movie. And there's, there, there are some really, really great um, supporting performances. Not a whole lot of big names in the supporting categories, other than maybe Lou Gossett Jr., you know, I forgot he was in. It. <laughs> he plays the vice principal. Okay. Um, but uh, it doesn't really need it. There's also um, Emily Day Ravine from Lost plays um, a very, very important character in the film. But it, this is a murder mystery noir set in in a California high school um, in the early 2000s. And man, it, it's it is super original. It's a really perplexing mystery that has you guessing the whole way through. Um, the score is great. The performances are great. And I, I love, love, love this movie. This is the first, this is, mm, it was tough for me to put it ahead of Lady Bird, but it is, it's a really, really good movie. This is a movie that I need to rewatch. Yeah, um, I recommend a rewatch of this. Yeah, I ha- like I said, I haven't seen it in over 10 years. I think it's still Rian Johnson's best movie. Wow. Yeah. Man, it really makes you think. I hope Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets back into the swing of things here because he's not done anything lately at all. Yeah, when we were watching it, that was p- kind of the discussion that that her and I had was, you know, whatever happened what to, to Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I mean, he was on a roll great back then. Actor. Between this and Mysterious Skin, he oh, was I doing some movie. really. You know, I love that movie. Oh, I, it's one of my favorite film scores of all time. Great um, he was really doing some very challenging things. He was. He was. You know? Yeah, I mean, lately, all he's got on... I mean, recently, all I can remember is Snowden. And that was three years ago, at least. Yeah. I And, and even before that, it's just been he's playing Robin in Christopher Nolan's yeah. movies. <laughs> Batman movie. Yeah. Thought, people thought that he was going to be in a Robin spinoff movie. And that sure. never happened. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, ten years ago, you and I were giant fans of this Love guy. Him. Giant, Great. giant fans Great. of this guy. So that's he's number, got plenty of time. That's number three for me. So we're in the top two now. Number two for me is a, a movie that I think would make most people's list for for this category. It's well deserving. Every time I see it, if it's on randomly, I have to watch the rest of the movie. It is a phenomenal example of the one 24-hour period done perfectly, and that's Dazed and Confused. That is number two on my list as well. Okay, okay. Let's talk about it. Let's. Um, this, is the, this is the breakout. This is the breakout for Richard Linklater, who is one of my probably ten favorite directors of the last century, of this century. Um, this, is, this is an incredible stuff for when you think about where it is in his career. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's not coming off anything but, what, Slacker at that point? Slacker was the only thing he had done, yeah. So, you know, that's not a movie that blew up by any means. No, it was it's... noted. People like Kevin Smith were like, saw that as inspiration. But yeah, and, and it's gotten... make any money. It's gotten a lot more acclaim now oh, yeah. mm-hmm. through hindsight, but, mm-hmm. you know, this but, was essentially his big, big break. It's, a, it's, it's widely known that he spent more on getting the rights to music for this movie than he did making this movie yeah yeah and it launched some some careers too a lot of careers right i mean some that aren't going really much anymore but i mean there's a lot of people in this movie and they're all very good in it yeah 
Um, you know, you have you God. You have uh, Joy Lauren Adams. You have Ben Affleck. Well, Ben Affleck is great in this movie. McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey, the Parker most Posey. notable name in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Parker Posey's very fun in this movie. Adam Goldberg. Yes. You have Anthony Rapp, Jason London. There's a lot of a lot of people in this movie. Um it, it's Nikki Cat is very funny in this movie as a drunk asshole. Uh this movie captures very well the feeling of um, letting it all completely just go crazy when you're finishing your high school career and that feeling, you know, when you have that weekend or so to just not care about a single thing. And you've come into the home stretch and you have very little to lose. Right. Yes. Um, there are some people who look at it like, I'm done for good. I never have to worry about anything ever again. <laughs> there are some people who think, I'm good for a weekend and then I can worry about the rest of my life. But for whatever reason, whatever you, however you look at it, everyone's on the same page for this night. Um, Mila Jovovich is in this movie as well. Uh, this movie is very fun. It's very well written. This is one of the best hangout movies of all time. Absolutely it is. Um, and although I, I'll say I don't really like a lot of the music in it, that's not my avenue. Yeah, yeah mine either. It still fits what it's doing. And it really puts you in that era. It and, does. And it really helps to solidify the period piece aspect of it. It makes it, it, it makes it feel authentic. It does. And there's this whole tie with the young kid going into the high school, connecting with the people who are leaving high school. That whole tie is great. Um, so this movie is very nostalgic uh, to anyone who's went through high school. Yeah. And I don't know how you could watch this movie and not have some sort of feeling while you're watching it. Yeah. It's a great movie. It's an excellent movie. So excellent movie. That's it. It's the, We're at it's number the one. first five star film on, on my list. Okay. Yeah. So we had the same number six and the same number two. We will definitely not have the same number one. We were, we're not going to have the same number one. What's number no. one on your list? Number one for me is a movie that again, when I was making this list, I was like, no, it's not, it's not a school movie, but it is because the entire premise of this movie exists because the main character is attempting to write a story to gain notoriety in her uh, one of her classes in college, and that's Mistress America. Yeah, I was wondering the whole time if this counted as a school to. movie. There are classroom scenes. I was going to save it for next week for road trip movies, in <laughs> fact. Really? Yeah. Well, Which I is, didn't know you liked this movie uh, even nearly as much as I did. Well, this but. was, I think, number two of the year, the year that it came out for me. Number okay. three of the year for me, the okay. year it came okay. out. So I like this movie I consider a lot. this a school movie. Yeah, I get that. But if it, if it wasn't for the fact that, like I said, the, the premise revolves around her, you know, trying to get into this prestigious True. club um, with the story, because she the main character, played by Lola Kirk in an incredible performance, uh, is fascinated by um, uh, this character named Brooke, uh, played by Greta Gerwig, who is a little older than her, uh, and their parents are marrying each other, and and this is how they hook up in New York City. 
Um, Brooke kind of shows her around, and she's uh, just observing Brooke throughout this entire movie. This movie is supposedly about Brooke, and it is, but it's mostly about Lola Kirk's character uh, and her kind of analyzation of this person. Uh, and it's very funny. Oh, it's extremely It's very funny. witty. It's edited beautifully. The movie is not even 90 minutes long. And it's lean. It's put together with effortless brilliance by Noah Baumbach. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the, it's probably going to go down as his most uh, overlooked movie sure. of, his, of his career. Which is funny because it might be his most widely accessible work. Maybe. That he's done because of how comedic it is. It's very funny. Yeah. It's very funny. Uh, Greta Gerwig in this movie is a she's, live wire. She's on fire. She is in every moment of this movie on fire. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, this came shortly after their first collaboration in Greenberg, which she was very good in. Um, Greenberg's also a very kind of quietly great movie. Yeah. Um, but man, Lola Kirk and Greta Gerwig in this the movie. Two of them together just pounding around is really enjoyable. High comedy. They're both, they're both great in this movie. And the writing by Gerwig and Noah Baumbach is whip smart. It's... The movie's it's one of the most enjoyable experiences under 90 minutes you can have. Well, and the dialogue packs so many funny, funny moments and lines. Mm. You miss um, things. That you're laughing and you miss things. Yeah. yeah. We, and this it, movie merits rewatching. It's that's it has great rewatchability for mm-hmm. that reason. Yeah. That there's so Tracy many jokes. Tracy Fishko. Tracy Fishko is the name of Lola Kirk's character yeah. in this movie. Great, great, great character. So number one for me was a slam dunk. I knew this was going to be number one when I started making the list, and it still is. Number one for me in the best school-themed films of all time is Rushmore. Oh, man. <laughs> one of, you know what? One of those, like, elephant for you that I didn't even think about. Yeah. I don't know why. I thought This that, is a great choice. Yeah, this yeah. is a great choice. It's, it's got to be number one for this me. This would have been on my list. <laughs> I assumed it would be on your list. This I almost be. thought for a second that we were going to have the same number one. See, Lady Bird didn't make my list, but that was intentional. Yeah. It was slightly off of it. That's crazy. But Rushmore, I've totally disregarded, forgot about it as, yeah. as a school movie. And it is. Uh, Schwartzman, first and foremost, is... is this is the best he's ever been. He's fantastic. But the rapport between him and Bill Murray, the whole way through, just feuding. And um, uh, it's just it's just got so many iconic and funny, funny moments. And it's so original. And it was the first Wes Anderson film that I saw. Okay. Um, uh, me too. Me too. And... It was it was immediate that I knew I was going to enjoy this director from now on, and I and I always have. But when we did our Wes Anderson lists um, a few months ago, this was number three on my list. It was high on mine too, I and think. I was uh, it was hard for me to even leave it that low. Mm-hmm. So it it it's finally breaks um, into the number one slot on a list because I think it's my favorite school themed film of all time. Just. I love this choice. And it's an inherently school film because oh, yes. Yes. not only is he in high school the entire time, but he goes to, he, ha- he has to end up going to a different school. He gets kicked out of one. This and, is a school movie. hundred yeah. percent. Yes. Yeah, big time. Uh, he also knows how to use 
well, he just frankly knows how to use every Wilson perfectly. And in here, in this one, Luke Wilson's funny. Very yes. funny in this movie. The the OR Scrubs bit is great. is an iconic Wes Anderson moment. Yeah. Um just the 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 montage of them of Schwartzman and Murray battling each oh, other yeah. and pranking one another and trying mm-hmm. to one up one another. It's great. Just because they're both in love with the same woman who neither of them have a chance with her. Really. Of course not. But And we said this when we talked about Wes Anderson movies in the past, but Olivia Williams is very good in this movie. Yeah, this is every time I see her in another film, I think, oh, Olivia Williams, yeah, she's the teacher in in Russia. This was right before The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right before it. Yeah. It was just funny because I always think about this movie as coming after that, but it didn't. It came before it. Well, because it feels much less of its time than mm, yes. the sixth well, West sense Well, Wes Anderson movies always feel beyond their time, I think. Yeah, you can't really More, pigeonhole them. No, no. Yeah. The Sixth Sense is very of its time. Yeah, and this is this not. This is not 1998 it's, at all. It's And it's an iconic, iconic film. Seymour Cassell as his father is terrific. Oh, gosh, yes. He's great in it. Uh, this is a great movie, and man, talk about uses of usage of music. Oh, so good. I mean, that's one of the things that Wes is is better at than almost any other director. Is. When I hear the Kinks, I still think about Bill Murray jumping into a pool with his Budweiser uh, swimming trunks on, <laughs> <laughs> with a cigarette hanging out of his yeah, mouth, no less. Right? Too. Yeah, <laughs> getting ash inside the pool and everything. Yeah. So really quick, let's talk about some some honorable mentions. I have one of my um, honorable mentions is Mean Girls. Mean Girls is on my I, list here as well. I've always been a big fan of that movie. Yeah. Um, that was back when I thought Lindsay Lohan was going to be a big star. Big, big star. Everybody did. She was very good was in it, actually. Big. Yeah, she's, it's the, still the best thing she's ever done. And let's talk about Amanda Seyfried for a minute again. Well, again. We can't, let's bring it back. she's funny in that. She's extremely funny in this yeah. movie. Yeah, it's the only other thing I'd liked her in uh, until I saw First Reform. <laughs> um, you know, uh, in keeping with the, the girl-themed uh, high school movies, most people, I, I think, would have Clueless on this list. Yeah, that, that's on my honorable mentions list. It was probably number seven on my list mm-hmm. um, because Clueless is extremely funny. I call it the Wayne's world of the school films. It is. It is. And it's very, very well written. Mm-hmm. Very funny. Silverstone's perfect in that movie. Yeah. Uh, Easy A is another one that didn't Easy make my A's list. fun. That's one of the, that's like, might be the first e- Emma Stone like star. Performance. Sure. It was. Um, old school. That that's on yours wouldn't be on mine. I get it. I get why it is though. Most people think that. But again, iconic, very funny, funny. Yeah, um, Wonder Boys with Michael Douglas and Tobey Maguire. Wow, yeah, it's a college film. Uh, Almost I, made my list. I rewatched that recently. What'd you think? Sad to say, it didn't hold up well for me. That's why it didn't make my list. Uh, I rewatched it, and it, it just doesn't hold. It's up still too good. Well. It's just not great. I don't think Tobey Maguire is good in it. No, Katie Michael Holmes Douglas is isn't terrific. good in it. Downey is great. Francis McDormand is great. Yeah. Douglas is one of his best performances. Yeah, it's just, it's not quite good enough to make the list, so it's I had not. to leave it off. Um, I would have, strangely enough, I would have the um, James Franco written Palo Alto in, in on this list. Okay. Um, Emma Roberts is extremely good in this movie. The score um, in this movie by Dev Hines of, of, of Blood Orange, not Des Bryant. Uh, Dev Hines is really entrancing i listen to the score still often yeah it's really good um and this was the first experience i had with jack kilmer also uh val kilmer's son yeah yeah who who's got an ability 
He's got something. I think he does. Yeah. I think he does. He was also in what? What did we review earlier this year? He was into The Dead Don't Die. Yes. Also. Um, let's go through a couple really, really quick. Um, both with James Vanderbeek, Varsity Blues, and The Rules of Attraction. Uh, you were going to do this. She's shouting out to Rob Patrick right now. One of his all-time favorite movies is uh, The Rules of Attraction. Well, I had to. I love the guy. <laughs> Varsity Blues. Yeah. I still remember Varsity Blues seeing it at the Applewood 9 movie theater. Um, it was one of those... That's one of those movies that was like... I was watching Dawson's Creek when that came out. <laughs> and I was like really pumped for that movie. Yeah. Boy, was it not good. No, not so much. Allie Larder, though. Chris Evans. <laughs> um, also, Stand and Deliver. Stand and Deliver, yeah. Edward James Olmos, Lou Diamond yeah. Phillips. Mm-hmm. I would nominate Everybody Wants Some. We have to throw that on this list. Sure, sure. It's a and, college and, movie. But I wasn't going to put that and Days and Confused yeah. on the same list. Yeah. And then the last one I had, which actually was my number seven, and, and uh, um, Election knocked it off the list, was Half Nelson. Ooh, nice choice. Yeah. I would have considered that as well. Didn't even think about that one. And then another one that I thought was going to be on your list, so I left it off of mine, is Carrie. Never cared for it. Really? I've actually never cared for that movie. That's why it didn't make my list either. Is It's good. Um, it's I fine. Just, I, I don't think it's... I don't upper, consider it a classic. I don't think it's it's upper tier De Palma either. It's No. It's one of his messier looking movies. Um, People would put it up there as a classic though. Yeah, same here. Um, and I just need to say two words. Teen Wolf. <laughs> That's true. You are a big Teen Wolf fan. <laughs> but I just love um, Michael And then I, I think before we close, we should we should mention the fact that none of us, neither of us are really big fans of like the big 70s college classics like Animal House. Yeah. Yeah. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. Um, Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Um, yeah. uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Um, no, not a big just, fan of any of those. Most of those films are very problematic. Oh, God, um, yes. And especially seen through a 2019 lens. They, they, they do not hold up well. Which brings me back a little full circle is what I appreciate about John Hughes. I don't think you see a lot of those problems with him. I think he was a not little many. bit of ahead of his time. Yeah, not many. The, he was progressive enough. Sixteen Candles has some problems with the way it portrays Asian characters. And no, no, no. Like no. I, I don't but, care for Sixteen Candles yeah. very much. He, he, Hughes isn't perfect in that regard, but he's a hell of a lot better than, than the things that come out of Revenge Animal of the Nerds House. and Porky's and Animal House and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... All right, well, we're going to take one last break, but when we come back, um, uh, inevitably, it's my favorite part of the show. It's the throwback challenge. We have a listener commission throwback for you from none other than my mother. Uh, So stick around, and we'll dive into um, two 70s classics, Shampoo and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
Welcome back to the Film Harmonic. It is time for the Throwback Challenge, and we have another listener-commissioned Throwback Challenge for you this week. This one, of course, if you were listening last week, comes from my mother. My mother writes, My Throwback Challenge to you are two Academy Award-winning movies, both from the year 1975, and they couldn't be more different. The first one is Shampoo. You don't see a lot of hair washing going on, but it does give your head something to think about as far as morals, commitments, responsibilities, and then there's that whole Nixon thingy. Lots of big stars, such as Warren Beatty, who co-wrote the story, Cute as a Button Goldie Hawn, Julie Christie, Lee Grant, and little Carrie Fisher made her film debut. The second film is another big stealer of Academy Awards from that year, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, with one big star, Jack Nicholson. There are other very good actors making their film debuts who went on to become big stars, but the movie is really all about Nicholson, who steals the show. So okay, you two, fight it out, pick one each, and I'll be listening for your review. So we did pick one each. Um, it was easy. I've never seen either of these films, despite my mother being the one telling us to watch them. <laughs> she never, she never introduced me to these, um, even even when I was of age, say in high school. Um, so uh, I, of course, went with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Um, and since you'd seen both of them, it was time for you to do a rewatch of Shampoo. Uh, I didn't get around to Shampoo, so I'm going to let you wax f- uh, on this for a little, bo- little, little while. Um, while I'll interject with a couple of questions here and now, but we're of of course as always we're going to start with you, Andy. Give me the rundown on shampoo. Shampoo, okay. Uh, this this movie, 1975, of course, middle of the 70s. Both of these movies are. Uh, I had only seen this movie once. And and, and you and you've seen many of Hal Ashby's other films. Uh, I have, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Harold and Maude being the biggest, but uh, the last detail. Uh, is probably the my favorite more than being there films i think a little bit yes yeah. i've never seen yes. being there um i've always wanted to i know our it's friend very, he had a good run in the 70s yeah, friend of the show josh short loves being there being there's a very good movie and it's probably his other than harold and Maude, his most famous movie um both of those are probably neck and neck um but this movie the second uh, this I don't know where this landed in his 70s list, but it, it doesn't matter. Um, Warren Beatty was already established at this point. Uh, you know, in the 60s, he had it's the a gigantic star. surge of Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. That happened. Um, he, you know, he had done several things. But he was still, he's still impossibly young watching this movie. It's like, wow. And impossibly um, handsome. Yeah, and, and so he's well cast in this role of... Uh, Lothario, uh, yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, uh, this guy in this movie is um, his name is George, and he is a hairdresser. He has went through beauty school, and he has been a he's been doing the same thing for quite a while. He's also trying to start his own kind of salon, mm-hmm. and, and he 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 wants to, he's trying to get somebody to invest in it, and you know the banks aren't helping him out. Uh, he has a girlfriend played by Goldie Hawn. Talk about impossibly young in this movie. Uh, I had seen a movie. I had seen Goldie Hawn's debut before I saw Shampoo. It's called Cactus Flower. Okay. It's a movie with Walter Matthau and Goldie Hawn. She was amazing, and she was Oscar nominated for that film. Um, uh, I, I watched this movie just last night uh, with my girlfriend, and and I said, "You gotta love Goldie Hawn. It's simply impossible not to." She goes. I don't have to love her, but I love her anyway. I said, well, but you have to love her. And she said, no, I don't have to love her, but I do anyway. I said, you don't have to love Kate Hudson, but you have, you have to, to love, love Goldie, Goldie Hawn. Hawn. And she yeah. said, 
No, I don't have to love her. But and then I half an do. hour later. No, my girlfriend was perplexed by this movie. This movie is very um, uh, busy. Uh, <laughs> this movie is anxiety-inducing a little bit at times. If if you're susceptible to that, which Jess is, there was a there's a scene in this movie <laughs> in 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 the salon where he works, where Warren Beatty's character works, and he is talking to several different people. He's he's going back and forth, and people are pulling him away. I need to talk to you about this. I need to talk to you about that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do this woman's hair at the same time, and and the scene lasts for what feels like 15 whole minutes. And at some point, she was like, "Is this scene still happening? And what is it doing to me?" <laughs> that happens a lot in this movie. Um, Hal Ashby uh, was a I guess popular director at the time, but his movies weren't put together in a conventional way. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of dialogue from a lot of characters in this movie bouncing off of each other, and it doesn't always work for me. Um, I liked this movie quite a bit the first time I saw it, uh, but seeing it now, this later on. And noticing different things that I notice while I watch films. I don't... Let's just say I didn't really like this movie. Really? And what um, was it about it that, that turned you uh, off in the uh, end? Uh, it doesn't really have a whole lot to say, even though it's saying a lot. That's what I feel like. That's um, saying something. There's a lot going on in this movie that doesn't amount to a whole lot. Um, there are, of course, love triangles. A ton of them going on with Julie Christie's character... Uh, Julie Christie uh, plays a character who is romantically involved with a very Trump-like, almost very wealthy Trump-like individual played by Jack Warden uh, in this movie. He's very funny in this movie. He's always the same kind of way. He has one kind of gear. Is this a funny movie? um, That's what's weird, is that the movie goes for laughs most of the time, but I didn't think it was that funny. Yeah. I did not think it was very funny. Not to say that I thought the movie was bad by any means. I do enjoy watching the movie uh, because the performers are are having a lot of fun. But I didn't laugh a whole lot. There are certain scenes that are funny. Like there's there's a scene where Warren Beatty's character is going uh, to the house of Julie Christie to do her hair in her own home with the with the intention of. You know, sleeping. trying to get in her pants, sleeping with it, yeah, yeah. Um, which is his main intention with every character in this movie. <laughs> um, but he has the blow dryer; he's he's got it in his pants like it's in a gun holster, <laughs> and it's like, why do you need to do that? Is there is there any reason for that? You can't be holding the damn thing, but he's holding it like he's in a Wild West movie, <laughs> and I did kind of chuckle at that, um, but. Overall, and the Nixon overlying Nixon um, theme here, it's like election nights approaching throughout this whole movie. Um, And that's kind of slightly there, but they don't really elaborate on it too much. It's Mm -hmm. just there in the background a lot. Didn't really do much for me. What are you giving it? 
I'm at a three on this movie. Solid. I do like the movie. Enough. But that also means that you liked The Art of Racing in the Rain the same amount. I Well, I'm judging them in different <laughs> ways, but yes. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, I have to note, the Carrie Fisher moment, her one scene, is great. Is it? She did. Look, How old is she? She looked alarmingly like Linda Blair. Really? In this movie. Yes, it's scary. <laughs> she she had to be no more than 19. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad I rewatched it. And you should see it at some point. You'll want to get into Hal Ashby at some point, and this is one you have to see. I made sure that I procured it. Um, I just didn't get around to seeing it yeah. because I watched Slackers instead for some dumb reason. Of, well, of course. <laughs> All right, now we have to get into your first ever viewing of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, so One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. This is going to be the bulk of our throwback conversation. Yeah. Um, let's get into its bona fides first. Um, it won five Academy Awards that year, mm. especially... The big ones. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. Huge. Um, those are the f- five the of the main. six big ones that you can win. It was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Brad Dorif. He didn't win. Um, and, then, and, and a bunch of others. Um, whew, this thing is an experience. This mm. is incredibly well-directed, first of Milos all. Milos Forman. Milos Forman is, is the man. Um, and there's lots of, lots of fun, uh, supporting characters that we'll get into in a minute. Um, I did, I found it so interesting to, to view from like a seventies perspective because it's dealing with mental health and, um, part of the big crux of the film is that Nicholson's character has been sent to this mental hospital, um, from a penitentiary to decide whether or not he's actually mentally ill. Or if he's just an asshole, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and who better to play that? And who better right? to play it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 there's some some things that through a 2019 lens could be viewed as problematic, but because it's because they're being delivered by this character for the most part, and in this setting. Um, it's not like it's being glorified. This behavior is not being glorified at all. Um, he's a despicable person. Um, so in that regard, he's a serious anti-hero mm-hmm. um, for what he what what does unfold in the things that the the culture that he brings to the hospital. Nicholson is incredible in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of scenes, especially when he's working with with some of the older actors. Um, like administration uh, uh, characters where you can tell a lot of this is ad-libbed. A lot of sure. some of his dialogue, dialogue is ad-libbed and it's, it's really, really good. This is one of, if not the best performance I've seen him give. And he's, I mean, he's among my 10 favorite actors of all time. Yeah. So I'm with you. He's astounding in this film. Um, Louise Fletcher, I believe her name yes, is. That's right. She also won best actress for this film. She's something in this she's movie. remarkable especially how even keel and calm she remains through most of this film um uh but milos Forman's directing is is fantastic throughout mm-hmm. this film and it really holds it all together but then you have these great fun fun performances in the middle and i found it really telling that um both christopher lloyd and a absolutely uh, unrecognizable danny devito yeah um both worked with with um Andy Kaufman on Taxi, mm-hmm. to which Milos Forman ended up doing Man on the Moon. 
Yeah. Um, Weird, right? And, and I found that really, really interesting. (laughs) Um, and then let's get to one of, one of the best things about this film, Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif is phenomenal in this movie. I, I didn't look up who beat him in Best Supporting Actor I don't know who this year, either. and I don't want to know, because he was fantastic in this movie. Mm-hmm. He, other than Keaton, he's the best, or other than Keaton, other than Nicholson, he's mm-hmm. the best part of this film. He, he, Brad Dorff is, is amazing. He is great, isn't he? And Lara and I are big fans of Deadwood, and mm-hmm. she said, she said, wait, you said he was in Deadwood. Which guy in Deadwood is this? And I said, he's Doc Halloran. He's the doctor. She's like, is he really? I don't see it. I was like, you can't see uh, it? And I was like, I get that he's he's remarkably young, but you can still see it in the eyes and the Brad mouth. Brad has a look about him. He does. He has a, he has a look. Distinct. And I mean, this is the best, best, best he's ever been. Uh, he's he's fantastic in this movie. I can't believe he didn't win. Yeah, that's like kind of surprising that he did not win. And then Samson, um, the the guy that plays the oh, the, the, Native the Native American. Yes, in this. yes. What a great character. Fantastic character. And then it's revealed halfway through that he actually does. Not only is he not deaf, but he speaks English as well. Mm-hmm. And then his his rapport, his character's rapport with with Nicholson's. Uh, character. That's key to how it closes out, too. In a really, really difficult scene, the way it closes out. Mm-hmm. This movie is a lot of fun, and and it and it doesn't. It's a lot of fun because after a while, it breaks from the claustrophobic feel of the hospital where they, they break out. out. They, they go on out. a fishing trip, and he takes all of these guys on a fishing trip with mm-hmm. him. Um, and there's just so many great, great characters in this movie. I agree. Um, by actors that who who are notable whose names are just escaping me at the moment mm. but um this was a really really rewarding experience this is a five star film wow it's a perfect film you're it's doing, close you're doing well with your it's 70s it's close journey. to four and a half but ultimately it is it is better than four and a half this is a near perfect film this is this is good progress here yeah um it's it excels in every area directing acting writing score editing um i mean there there's not a flaw in the i've in the seen film. the film a handful of times but not lately i will go back to reassess yeah i'm really really glad that i uh, that we were given these these films uh, great throwbacks. for no other reason than i needed i needed to get this off the list you did need to get this off your list so mom if you're Thank listening you, and, I, and i know you are um in about a month or so give us another another Please. throwback of some other stuff Dig deep. Um, can't wait to see what what you'll have for us. So, um, so let it, now would be time where we would reveal uh, our own throwbacks mm-hmm. to one another. Um, and I, I've been piling up a list of throwbacks that I want to give. Oh to yeah, you. me too. But it, as it turns out, we have another listener commission throwback. Let's do and it. And this one comes from a special place in your life. So I'm going to let you read this email. This this uh, is another one given to us by Jess Husick, my girlfriend. Who gave us? She gave us the Ben Affleck throwback challenge that we had to do previously. Um, luckily, I'm told that this is a little bit better fare of film. Uh, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. 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 So right. this this email is entitled "Dad Classics." Mm, love them. And she writes, "It's my dad's birthday in a couple of weeks, and in honor of him, I'd love for you guys to review two of my dad's favorite movies." My mom died when my brother and I were 11 and 6, and my dad raised us on his own afterward. Ever since, he's always, been, uh, he's always seen a lot of himself in two classics, Sleepless in Seattle and Mr. Mom. 
Whenever these are on TV, he grabs a beer, sits back, and says, Geez, oi, I know what that's like. <laughs> Cheers to the single dads and to mine. Thanks, love boys. It. I love that email. It's that's, a good one. It's terrific. It's good. Um, well, Sleepless in Seattle is an absolute stunner of a classic. Well, we've both seen it enough. Countless times. So I'll watch that. I'm going to rewatch both of these. Oh, okay. We both have seen both of these, but mm-hmm. it's been far, I, far longer. I can fit longer. both in, too, because Mr. Mom's really short. And it's been far longer since I've seen Mr. Mom, so... Mm. Um, I'm excited to see these. Uh, I haven't seen Sleepless in Seattle in a few years, but every time I watch it, it every time I watch it, it's enjoyable. So, well, and, and Mr. Mom's notable because it was shortly after night shift. (laughs) Night shift was Keaton's big kind of, uh, people noticed him more after that, but it wasn't a starring role. Mr. Mom was his first starring role. And he is another one of your top 10 favorite actors of all time. I would think he's probably in there. He's a big favorite of the show. Yes. So yes. So this is a this is a really great throwback. Yeah. So we're gonna have those next week. Um, well, that's our show for today. Remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Buzzsprout, Amazon Alexa, and Google Play. Send us your suggestions, as others obviously have for the throwback challenge to the filmharmonic at gmail.com. Join us on the next episode when Andy and I split duties and we'll have five good questions for each other about Richard Linklater's Where'd You Go Bernadette and the Seth Rogen produced Good Boys. And with summer coming to a close, we're going to rank the six best road trip films of all time. So add all of that to our newest listener commission throwback challenges. And it would appear we have lots to look forward to. So, Andy, without any uh, further ado, do you have any closing remarks? Uh, I guess I need to close the book on my mom going to the movies by saying one big takeaway from uh, the best quote from the day, Mm -hmm. uh, because she talks a lot during the movies. Sure. Is uh, there was a moment where Martin Donovan's character is laying down a lawsuit on uh, our, our hero, and she looks over at me and she says... That guy's an asshole. <laughs> Loud enough for all the children in the theater to yes, hear. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And also the best actually the best part was when she was laughing at something that was actually a funny part in the movie. And she she laughed pretty loud and she and she and I did too, and she goes, No one else is laughing in this theater. I said <laughs> and I raised my voice, I said, I know. <laughs> there were at least 10 other people in there. No one was laughing. Oh, to have been a fly on that Dolby surround sound wall. Oh, goodness. All right. It well, was worth it. <laughs> sounds like it was worth it. All right. Well, um, guys, thank you for listening. We will see you next time on the Film Harmonic. Ah.